Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have an interview with Dr. Ben House and Dr. Tommy Wood. This all came about because I was just reading some of the deconstruction nutrition articles, and this one really seemed interesting to me. They were looking to answer, can highly trained individuals recover from four hard sets per muscle group in 24 hours? And this also obviously had some interesting implications for gaining quality volume, more volume, potentially more hypertrophy. And uh, we just kind of dug into this because they recently kind of published this paper and I, I thought it was very insightful. And there was just lots of interesting discussions from psychological arousal, uh, from novelty from specialization how frequently should we change exercises and also like measuring muscle growth so always a great chat with uh, ben house who's been on the podcast several times and i'm sure i'll be getting dr tommy wood back on the show at some point and as a reminder guys if you ever feel lost in your fitness journey if you would like a helping hand a guide if you've got a photo shoot or a bodybuilding show in mind or you just want to drop some fat or gain some muscle at revive stronger we do online coaching that is exactly what we do we help people solve all those problems we guide you week to week towards that goal so if you are interested in comprehensive personalized online coaching then definitely check out the link in the bio where you can learn more about that but without further ado let's get into the show Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today I have Dr. Ben House back on the podcast. He's been on several times and is a, well, every guest is a favorite of mine. And maybe there's another favorite coming on because there's Dr. <laughs> Tommy Wood, uh, who we've just been chatting off air. And it seems that we have uh, some friends in, in contact as well. So maybe there'll be some more episodes going down with you, Tommy. And uh, I'm very excited right. for this chat. I was uh, just kind of... Uh, kind of reading through some bits and pieces on the internet and uh, part of that is my subscription over to uh, these guys' website and I was reading over a recent article that kind of piqued my interest and it was essentially answering the question because these guys were both on this paper and you sought to answer can highly trained individuals recover from four hard sets per muscle group in 24 hours and kind of the background behind all of that was very interesting and I, I think it's probably worth passing over, I guess, maybe to you, Ben, into why you found this question is something you wanted to try and answer and what could the possible kind of uh, implications be? And then we can talk about kind of dig into what actually happened. Yeah. So this study, the data was collected in late, late 2019, right before the pandemic hit. And so that seemed to be like the height of this idea of training kind of every day on repeat. Um, and so I wanted I wanted to design a study and Tommy helped with the the design of it. And, and, and we actually want to run this kind of study again. And, and because the findings were very, very interesting in that it's essentially one of the most highly trained populations that we have in research, like we're talking, you'll see trained subjects in research where they're like their one rep max bench is their body weight or something. Our subjects, they're 10 rep max on average was their body weight. So like that's not 10 X and strong, but, Obviously, that that's a significant difference being your one rep max is like whatever you weigh versus your 10 rep max is whatever you weigh. So this was a this was a highly, highly trained population um doing inside of a workout. So a lot of times in this like recoverability literature, if that's what you want to call it, they'll generally only do the big three or they're only the only squat or the only bench. Um, and so what we did was we had they started with squat and bench, but then they did a bunch of other kind of accessory work that we would normally see in training. Um, 
so like from an ecological validity standpoint, it was probably more on par with what a person would do. Um, not many people are just going to bench and squat and leave the gym. Powerlifter might, but some people might. Um, and and so that that was the kind of the impetus for this study. And so they did the same workout four days in a row. Um, just to see what would happen. So this is kind of like an extreme example because um, in the literature on recoverability, we have a lot of studies that go to failure. And then we have some studies that are like a five reps in reserve, which doesn't seem to lead to much, if any, like anything on the recovery, you can probably recover from that inside of 24 hours easily. Um, and then we have research, which is like eight sets to failure. And so there's this gap in the literature there of like, what happens when you do like moderate two to four sets to not failure. Um, and we found that they were able to recover um, day after day. Um, and that was pretty interesting. Like average concentric velocity stayed the same. It did not significantly decrease over the four days. Their perceived recovery though, um, and Tommy ran the stats on this, their perceived recovery did take a major hit on day two. So day one, they trained. Uh, I will add some asterisks that it was in the heat. So that, that could have been, um, it was in Costa Rica. So that could have been a factor. So there were, I would say non-muscular factors that could have led to that reduction in their perceived recovery. But even though their perceived recovery went down on day two, and then it was kind of, it, it stayed to correct me if I'm wrong, Tommy. It, it was, it was lowest of, on day. It kind of went down day two and then down again, day three, and then sort of like came back up again on day four. And because they knew that like they were not placebo to how many days the study was. So that's kind of another, that's another interesting. In, interest. Like they knew it was four days. Like we told them like, you're going to train four days in a row, same workout. So they didn't, they had an idea of what was happening. Um, and they were very excited that it was the last day. <laughs> I, I will, I will the, say that. The, the next, the next version that Ben's been cooking up is they don't know they don't when the study is going to end. You just keep keep on crushing them and see how long they can take it. See, see how long they can. I think it'd be very interesting, like in this moderate, like, and so we we don't. The other thing is like we don't know if they're adapting. We can't say that. We just know that they're able to repeat their performance over and over again. The, however, the three strongest people in the study who are all of them FFMIs over 25, they never hit their day one totals again. So if you look, even if you look at the individual, so if you advanced, advanced, like probably pro-ish going to be in your top three, if you had like a bodybuilding stage competition, they never hit day one again. And so I think if you think about it from the coach's perspective, like that's not somebody I would probably run this in because they're grinding themselves into a big hole. Um, squatting, you know, this was back squat, front squat, or, or safety bar squat, like putting 350 pounds on your back for 10 reps day after day after day is not a really a good time. Um, and and so there's I think there's a lot of practical takeaways from the coaching side um, from this study that that we can that we can jam on um and then also like just a lot of we don't know is we really do need more research on a lot of these topics um and in that gap you're probably going to co you're as a coach i think that you can even without that research you can make some really um well-informed choices on the individual level yeah i guess uh it's interesting because 
well, I guess a lot of people here or will have thought about and maybe really think this is the case. Like you can't train a muscle unless you've recovered 48 to 72 hours. That's kind of the perpetuated kind of evidence-based kind of uh, statement to have. Whereas you're having these guys who are clearly recovering quicker than that. And I think it's become less of a thing. Like you said, people are starting to train muscle groups like every day. I've certainly had like clients who have trained like the same muscle group back to back days. And there might have to be some like changes there. Like it's not exactly the same pattern and exactly the same proximity to failure or volume or what have you. But I think that is breaking a little bit. And that's what this does as well further where you are having like, and I think everyone was over, I don't know if it was like the mean or whatever, but I saw an FFMI 23 was like the average or whatever. And I was like, 23 FFMI, like that's a pretty freaking jack guy. So these are like very, very trained people. And like the people with FFMI is over 25 or 25 plus. Yeah, these are pro bodybuilders. 20 yeah that, geez, this is guy on juice <laughs> no, i'm joking <laughs> no, so there yeah like we did we did not ask that question i will say that there okay. was probably one person on peds um i i'm always happy to have those conversations um there was another 27 f of my natty lifetime natty wmbf um i would guess that Heads would accelerate this. I, I think it would accelerate this time. Of course, you could also make the difference of like maybe they can do more muscular damage in a session. So maybe, maybe not. There's a lot of ways to to spin it. Um, but I, I think one of the other reasons to run this study is exactly what you said. If you if we have this idea of like linear volume and like specialization phases for muscle groups, which we've talked about before, I think is 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 becoming quite in vogue eventually you're going to get to a point where like, if you want to hit 30 sets, how are you going to break that up? Like it just becomes a logistical problem. Like if you're trying to hit 24 sets, you could do three days of eight. How are you going to, how are you going to space those? Are you, you got seven days in the week. I don't even think about weeks and like, I don't even think in weeks anymore. I just think for me personally, like I train every muscle group 70, every 72 hours right now, because I do a lot of like, I'm, I'm hitting like 10 sets per muscle group. So I just kind of run that on repeat and I'm on a two frequency per week. But if you go up to three frequencies per week, you're going to have to start asking these questions. If you go to four frequencies per week, now you're back to back. So what do you do at four frequencies per week? If you're doing a specialization phase, I think you can make the argument given the literature that we have that you could go short kind of not maybe a ton of range of motion for the first day, which people can generally recover from. Like, so if you think about schematics that people can probably recover from very quickly, it's not training to complete failure and then changing in training in less range of motion, if you will, probably not in a lengthened position. So you can do that first, have that day and then do the next day lengthen. And then, you know, maybe you got 40, 48 to 72. So I think from the coaching perspective, there's a lot of ways that you can take this and add some novelty um add some differences because eventually as you're trying to take volume up for a muscle group you probably obviously you have to talk about frequency and intensity no that that makes a lot of sense and yeah it comes down to kind of why this study was interesting because you're looking at because frequency is often touted as like secondary to volume but when you're looking at volume has a kind of like linked correlated effect with to hypertrophy as in escalating volumes you see growing hypertrophy so long as someone's recovering if we can divvy up that have higher frequencies we can get higher quality volume in maybe we see more growth so that's kind of the the conversation you're having there which i think is 
definitely interesting and, and important one. And it does seem like the Hughes mentioned that 10 sets seems to be like that upper end. Although I guess that could even vary muscle group, maybe person to person uh, exercises. Like if they're doing a lot of short, like you mentioned, that, that potentially isn't as fatiguing. So it's actually, that's a question I had for you guys was, as far as you're concerned, what's like your definition of recovery? Mm. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take it and then I'll, I'll hand it to Tommy. So our, it's hard for me, like if you can look at, and Zoros has talked about this a ton in mass, like how do we quantify recovery? Like, is it your ability to go and repeat your performance? Um, is it, because that's, there's a lot of money in that. Like people trying to, there's not only, there's a lot of research interests, like we have HRV, we have um, essentially what we're doing, which is a pre, so you could do like, you think about high level sports, probably mostly football, soccer in Europe, a lot of money there, um, trying to predict this. Um, so we have grip strength, we have, you know, force decks, we have, we have all this stuff that's trying to get at like, how prepared is this person? How recovered are they? Um and that, that was maybe the most interesting finding to me is that the ACV, which does seem to move when people, when you absolutely shred people, when you like rip them up with 10 sets or like eight sets to failure on bench press, the next day their ACV is dropped um, in a lot of, in a lot of these studies. Average, that's average concentric velocity of like a, of, of your 10 rep max or like 70% 1RM. So it's some, but, and Tommy, you, you had this critique too, is like, that's not really specific to training to a nine RPE or a one IRR because that's different. That That is a different quality. So it's interesting to me, like ACV may not be predictive of your ability to grind reps towards the end because it is a different quality, um, which gets us to the ultimate problem is like, you probably measure recovery by doing the thing that they need to do, which will take away from your ability to recover. <laughs> um, so it comes down, I think it comes down to this kind of study design where you're just like repeating performance and seeing what happens. Like, so if you cared, if you, if you, like, if you cared about 48 hours, you just have people like do it and see how big of a hole they dug, right? Like just keep doing the same thing every 48 hours. Um, and I think eventually you're going to get your answer. But I will say from an adaptation standpoint, a lot of coaches would make the argument that like said principle, you may want to knock people down inside of a microcycle, right? Like, and cause you're, you're essentially dropping fatigue on them. And then when you take that fatigue off, when you do a taper, maybe they'll come back up. So that's the one thing we don't know is like, is, is driving people into a hole. Okay. Like if you're chasing adaptations, like when is too much? Like then, then now you're in the functional overreaching literature. Like now we're in a completely different domain. Um, so that that's what's does does recoverability. I think we know that volume to a certain point, and this has been an argument I think between Israel and and Helms and and Miner. Um, volume to a certain point is is probably great, and then you more may not be more at a certain point. Um, and so then it's just time. Then it's just time in that domain. Um, but if you can do more productive volume, that's that's interesting. Tommy, any critiques of that? No, I don't think so. No, the the I think you're you're right that and that we had some discussions with people about 
you know, say rather than looking at ACV, looking at like drop-offs within a set. And mm -hmm. yeah, you know, maybe that's more predictive. But then again, you get into that problem that you're having to do people like just like you said, yeah, having people to do the thing that they're trying to recover from in order to figure out whether they've recovered from it or not. Um, what was interesting, what was most interesting for me was the subjective perceived recovery, which we looked at every day. And it did drop off every day, like you said, except for the last day. And there's certainly so actual, you know, uh, quantitative measures of performance or recovery, ACV, number of reps performed didn't change until the last day, right? And so on the third day, these guys, you know, their recovery state had decreased by 50% or so. They felt fatigued. But on the fourth day, some of that's gone because they know it's the last day and they managed to significantly improve the number of reps they do on the squat. Um, so there's this kind of disconnect between how recovered you feel and how much you can perform and then this psychological benefit like if you know it's your last day you know it's your last time to perform you can you can do more um but to some extent we also know that if you're psychologically fatigued regardless of what regardless of whatever subjective or quantitative measure you have you measure heart rate variability or something else right if if the individual's not feeling it, they're not going to perform as well. So that the aspect of psychology, I think, is is what's most interesting to me in terms of how a coach can then you know get the most out of a out of their client in, in a given moment. Yeah, I'll, I'll interject here because we're going we're going into a vein of research that I didn't really think didn't think we would go on. Like if you <sighs> give someone a spotter, they perform more reps. So like if if you put females in a gym males will get more reps it doesn't seem to affect females right so like there's there's all these that things surprise that, me at all there, yeah it, caffeine will get you more reps we kept cat we kept caffeine it'll get you one or two like so you start come like everybody had a spotter the whole time but on the last day everybody knew it was the last day there was i could like that's the placebo thing that like they were so excited that it was the last day and they were going to the beach the next day and not doing that and there was so much more yelling there was like, and, and it's, it's just very, and, and we talked about this kind of off air is like that psychological group component. And that is one of the big things, like what, that's a big asterisk to me, even to RIR, like, like RIR by yourself at 6am is going to be a lot different than RIR with a group of 13 dudes on the last day of this gauntlet study. Right. Um, and so that's, I don't, that is psychological, but we were kind of talking like, where does the, where do those extra reps come from? Cause the, in this study, they were real. Like they were, they were racking the bar like every day they were racking the bar at 0.16 was the average velocity. 0.16 meters per second was the average velocity. They racked the bar on the bench and anyone who's run gym aware or any kind of velocity, like that is very slow. Like, like, like no, no one's in a 0.16 and there's not many people. I, I will say that I am one of these stupid people who can hit a 0.16 and then hit another one. Uh, I can't do it. I definitely can't do it on squat, but I can 0.16. I may be able to go for another rep after that. Um, and so, but for all intents and purposes, if you look at the research on when people fail in RIR research, they were right there. And on the last day they went to that same point, but they still picked up two more reps on the squat. So either they were mailing it in the first three days, which, I don't think was the case or my, they might've changed the way they were doing the reps, which is possible cadence, the tempo, they might've gone down faster, maybe a little bit more bounce. And 
but my hunch given my this is anecdotal i think that if you get excited and you put more effort into those first few reps that probably lowers the perceived effort of those reps and then you can potentially get more reps on the back end so like when i'm cueing people when i'm coaching people in person sometimes people are like why is this guy like giving external cueing on first reps and I'll I'll give external cues like throw the throw it through the roof or whatever whatever external cues you want to give like um, I'll use those on the first few reps because I think I can get a client on the backside of that a few more reps like push the floor whatever it is um, so that's just something. This uh, kind of a, I have some thoughts surrounding at least that kind of psychological arousal slash like focus you have to have because if I just think about it for myself as a, a practical take where my final weeks within like my mesocycle before deloading, I'm going to zero reps in reserve, one rep in reserve. If my week one after deloading, I don't have any focus, any psychological arousal, I'm not hitting three or four reps away from that zero RAR performance. I'm hitting five, six, seven, because if I don't have any kind of focus and drive, I'm not, I'm just not performing. Like I have to have that focus and drive. Otherwise, yeah, I'm sandbagging basically. Um, and I, I was another one that came to mind when you were talking about things that help people is like music. Like I, mm. I actually, like, I don't know. I've heard people talking about having like a podcast during like their training. And I'm just like, man, I could not get to the place I need to go to like get the reps I need to get to like proximity to failure. Uh, maybe like perceived it might feel that way because I'm like not switched into the set, but uh, externally, like I'm not actually there with the muscle. Yeah. And I don't think that's, I, I don't, that's the thing is like, I don't know that going to the well like that all the time is a good idea. Um, I think as a coach, like I've, man, I've done a lot of CrossFit in my life. Like you see a lot of stupid stuff. Like, do you want, and that's the other thing is you get into the training to failure literature. I'm generally okay with people, especially on a squat and a bench press. Like, I think you have to learn that ability to grind. You have to learn that ability to go to those places. But the reason that I have used velocity is to keep me from doing that. Keep me from being stupid. Like we call it the pullout method, which no one wants to do. It's like, it's very hard if you love to train to stop at a two. And I think that's probably, if you want to train frequently, I think that is probably a skill that you need to learn is to really, especially on compound long muscle length exercises is to not do that. Um, I'm much less worried about like single joint dynamic, taking those to failure. I, I don't think they had, that has the same, necessarily the same cost it might have a like if you're doing long muscle length leg extensions like and you this is the first time you're doing that that a different kind of story um but on as a general principle i would be thinking about like how could i think they're the price to pay for what you get out of those last two reps on a say a squat or a bench is the price is pretty high and what you get is probably pretty low yeah yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And actually speaking to your point there, uh, Tommy, I was thinking about like the psychology and how important that is. I don't know if you guys uh, like going through your deload, like sometimes I'm like, does everything just feel heavy? Cause I know it's now a deload and I'm just clued into that. Whereas if I like, I don't know, tried to push, I'd actually be able to, sometimes I do consider that. So yeah, it's just something that um, came into my mind there. And yeah, I don't know if you guys have anything more on this kind of uh, topic where where are you going next with your study then you mentioned that you've got another one in mind 
Yeah. The the next, I think we'll call it the gladiator study, is just it's basically some iteration of this study. Um, probably not bench press and squat, probably use machines. Um, because I think I'll use something that has less of a technique component. Um, because I think you can get more like we've all seen people get squat reps that are like, oof, oof, that was that was a good morning ish. Um, and, and an ACV is not going to pick that up, right? Like I've, I've seen people who are not, who cannot, I think it's inevitable, right? You're going to go more rectory for some people, maybe not everybody. Um, but I've, I've seen people go up in their velocity sometimes, like people who aren't very trained just because they change how they do the exercise. Um, we didn't see that in this, in this study at large, um, but I think for the next study, we will probably do some machine-based stuff um, and look at this on repeat, probably close, like same close to failure, probably like a nine or a 9.5 um, RIR, and then do it on repeat and see how long it takes people to like go down 10% or 5% from their original performance. Um and specifically probably on exercise, I'm most interested in like exercises that they kind of haven't been doing. Um, so you mentioned the word like deload. I think that a way to deload without touching your volume could be to change your exercises, which is I think kind of wild to people like, because they're like, they're like, what is he talking about? And I'll say like, I think that if you change a variant, of an exercise. I, I think that it probably does take some learning, but even if you take it to a one IRR that first day, even though it's neuro neurologically, maybe a one IRR, it's probably not on your muscular system. So you're probably actually deloading your musculoskeletal system while you're learning a new activity. So I could frame that as a way to deload is just to change your exercises, some of them. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm interesting is like, I'm interested in that transition between microcycles. Um, and can we can we essentially how long does it take to get to a point where you're having and this comes down, I think, Steve, to coaching, like how long until I have to use a double progression with an exercise? That's kind of what I'm interested in is like how long how long is it until I can get out of a first set progression schematic? Um and that's what that's what I'm interested in, and that's what Tommy's gonna, on the stat side, help us help us figure out. Um, maybe like a leg extension, leg press situation could be just absolutely gnarly. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Sounds terrible. It's gonna be. It's, it's not. It's leg not gonna press. Be. Well, leg extensions as well are brutal to to, to like failure. They're not fun yep. and fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's all going to be fun. I mean, it's not going to be, it's all going to be fun, but I think we'll have to do like some type of pin leg press. So they go down to the same point. Um, so like we keep range of motion, keep tempo the same. Um, and then, yeah, run, run something like that day after day. And like, if they have been squatting and that would, that would be kind of my study design. And hopefully people who are listening to this don't sign up for the study. Um, but like have them be squatting and then switch them to leg press. And see how I think that would be pretty interesting to see what's the runway. I'd probably use higher reps, like 15 reps, right? Like, can you go up and wait every time for 15 reps? Like, it can it's, it'd be, it's just going to be really, really interesting. 
That is interesting. And would you have still highly trained subjects in this as well you'd be going for? Yeah, because I, I, untrained subjects kind of adapt no matter what. And there's really no point. They can't reach muscular failure anyways. Like they're, they don't have that ability yet. They haven't. I, I think we've all trained people like there's really no point in going over 65% one RM with them. Cause they can't, they don't have the motor patterns. They don't have the motor learning. They can't turn off the antagonist. They can't do it yet. So you're probably better off staying in that 12 to 15 rep range just cause they get more reps to learn. Um, and we've all seen it. Like someone's like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, they do one good rep and they like rack it, but it wasn't slow at all. It's like, it's like, what, what just happened here? Like you just, you did a good rep, but keep going. Uh, but they're done. They're done. Um, and so, yeah, I think this this is a super niche thing. Um, and I think it does probably have to be in in highly trained individuals. Um, I don't know that they have to be proficient in that in that second exercise. That's a, that would probably be a question. We'd definitely be a question we've asked. We we would ask like, have you ever done leg press in your in your in your training before? And my hypothesis would be if they haven't done leg press that that runway would be even longer that before they like ran out of gains or before they ran out of like one, I guess you would call it a, your first, how Menno calls it is a first set progression is like, if you go up in weight in reps, essentially different coaches run it different ways, but say you were running a first set 10 rep. Like if you hit 10 reps on weight, then you go up that next session. Yeah. Um, and then you could essentially run it that way until someone can no longer hit that 10 reps. And then you've hit that. Now you're in a double progression land where now you got to go to, you know, the second progression of that. And it makes sense. It's an interesting question. I don't know if, uh, I know sometimes you watch my stories, Ben, so I don't know if you saw it, but I was asked literally that question of, uh, could you deload by changing exercises? I don't know if you actually saw my answer. So I was like, I don't think so. Uh, because I have, uh, I think it comes from my programming like methodology. And also, uh, I do think there's a psychological component to warranting mm. a deload, potentially like joints, connective tissue, not that they probably get too much from the, from just one week. But, uh, yeah, I was like, no, I don't think you can just change. Uh, I, uh, whenever I see these sort of things, I'm always like, are people just trying to get away from, they need to reduce fatigue. And there's just like bodybuilders being like, I have to be training hard all the time. So that's mm -hmm. kind of the perspective I've come from. And obviously I've like landed on, on a paradigm that's kind of fit and, and works, but at the same time, I'm not set on and biased. Like I'm not like dogmatic towards needing to deload because uh, of course I'd wish I didn't need to. <laughs> so if I, if we can find that we can just change exercises because I'm thinking at least within a week, like we have different exercise variants because that helps manage fatigue because you're kind of like damaging or like um, stressing one area and then stressing another area. So similar, like if you rotate, but do you even want to rotate everything that's another thought i guess i have like do you want to keep the same variants if they're productive for you you just need to back mm -hmm. off from them to go again i don't know uh, but this yeah. comes to a, a question actually that we're about to cover i guess uh which is uh kind of the next article that you wrote up was to do with like how long does it really take to learn a new exercise because this is definitely one where you have like the extreme camps of like i don't know old school bodybuilding bros confuse the muscles, muscle confusion, novelty, like throw something new in because then that's going to spur uh, growth. And then you have the other extreme of like 
no, there is no like staleness. There's no adaptive resistance. Like just chug on with the same exercises because muscles are dumb. They don't know if you're changing it. They just respond to tension and like that sort of thing. So uh, I thought this was a really interesting question because I think uh, me included, I think there, I don't know, actually, I think I'm somewhat in the middle here. I think a lot of people, are, and I don't know where this lands, but when you spoke about it here, it made me feel more comfortable going more towards not muscle confusion, but being more comfortable changing a variation sooner rather than later. Uh, so anyway, I'll let you kind of uh, talk about this a little bit. Yeah, it, to be clear, we do not have a lot of direct literature on this area. Um, and I think that's one of the problems of like, so we kind of have, it's, it's, a, it's true like your neural system does learn faster than your muscular skeletal system and your soft tissue system. So if you think about like how fast do these systems adapt, the neural system does adapt the fastest. Um, and, but we've always heard like, oh, no one's gaining any muscle in the first four weeks. They're just learning exercises. I think we could say without a shadow of a doubt, that's probably untrue. Uh, and you see what I just did there. Um, I, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would say that we have literature that would directly say that it's more of our ability to measure muscle mass that is we're not this is kind of the problem in hypertrophy research is everyone thinks we're very good at measuring muscle mass we're not that good at fine scale measuring changes in muscle mass and muscle mass is you know muscle 70 to 75 percent water so there's a lot of variability in muscle mass um and so if you have untrained populations who have edema carbohydrate different day to day like i'm not really interested in and their ability to gain muscle or our ability to measure that just because they have so many confounders running around. Um, and so this literature would say that like hypertrophy is happening under the worst. Like if you think about your two avatars that you gave, we have like old, like just kind of Ripitel ish, just grumpy curmudgeon like, stuck in their ways like you got to do it's going to take you 10 years to learn master this exercise don't change it until you master it and then you kind of have the opposite which is crossfit right who came in and they did everything all at once and had no like so you kind of have you have these two different camps and it's good to give like i want to give both of these people some credence um i can probably give the ripetoe curmudgeon person more credence because crossfit doing everything does not seem to result in a lot of hypertrophy. Um, and hopefully I don't get sued for that. But if you look at the, if you look at the literature, like CrossFit itself does not reliably produce hypertrophy. So that might be too much variation. Like that much be like, cause you're, you're messing with too many variables there. Like you have, you have, you're doing, you're not only you're messing with the reps, but you're messing with the cardio. Like, is it, is this cardio? Is this, is this weightlifting? But if we take, if we go a little bit farther, we can really piss this Ripito avatar off. And, and that's with like, we have one study now that every day they pick three exercises for a muscle group out of 80 exercises. Like, so super rando lottery. Um, and that did not perform. It performed the same in untrained people as doing the same thing every day for eight, like three times a week for eight weeks. So like that's if you stay in hypertrophy land, it's like whoa, that's that's weird. We wouldn't kind of expect that finding. Um, and Knuckles, I think Knuckles has some some logic, some great logic on why that might be, and it comes back to that training to failure literature, and that 
we may not have to, even though your neural system isn't that great, it's still probably good enough to get you this, like the, the stimulus that you need to spur all of the mechanotransduction, all of that stuff happening downstream. Um, so essentially it's enough to hit the on switch and, and that's, what's really interesting. And then that, uh, pull up the last name of the author. Um, I believe it's out of Spain. Uh, yeah, Baz Valley. Uh, Baz Valley is the name of that author. Um, and as a study out of 2019, we can link that up. But so the, and we, we have other studies that have looked at this to some degree, but not to that degree. So that's kind of the most extreme example. And, and obviously we have a replications crisis in literature that that study likely needs to be replicated. Right? Like we need, we need, that's, we need to see that again. Um, I'd like to see that again. Maybe that could be, maybe there's a bunch of null findings in a, in a, in a file drawer somewhere. Um, but that's, it's interesting. And it, from a logical standpoint, it makes you think that, wow, this lottery number kind of switching exercises all the time and no rhyme or no reason in untrained individuals wasn't that detrimental and they liked it, which is something that I think the the curmudgeonly old coach can learn is that the goal is to keep people in the game. It's to get them to show up. So novelty to me is this spice that keeps people in the game. Um, and I've been coaching people for a long time and I've had a lot of different people and some people love novelty and some people don't need it, but some people need a significant amount of novelty to stay in the game. And I used to be, I used to be much more towards the Ripito side and be like, Hey, I need you to learn to like this exercise. Now I'm how many variants can I have in my back pocket? Can I tweak this thing up and like give you like a little bit of novelty and you're, you're excited for a little while and you're still training. Um, and, and I don't, I think that could be ideal from from a hypertrophy standpoint like you're training in a different vector like um it could be great and then you could you can make the equal argument that it could be not so great because maybe you're not really ever getting good at at something i don't know do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with the plan? Then it's time to start working with us. We at Revive Stronger offer a truly personalized coaching service. You'll get more than just an email with some macros or random cookie cutter program. With Revive Stronger, you will be the center of our attention. You will receive your own fully individualized training protocol alongside a customized nutritional strategy. We created the coaching around your needs, wants, personal preferences and your own unique lifestyle. Every single week we delve into your program in order to make appropriate adjustments so that we get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better. If you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change. Sign up today and let's revive stronger. Yeah, I think my only, I don't know if it's a, a good concern. I'm just trying to reflect upon some of my training background where I think maybe I wasn't so proficient at training appropriately hard. And so when I'd be approaching new exercise variants and trying to like leave reps in the tank, I was so far from having the skill acquisition of training that exercise hard. That was so far from failure 
they end up rotating it again the next mesocycle. So every mes- every like six weeks, I'm rotating in new exercises and never really pushing myself hard enough. I mean, first of all, I probably didn't even need to deload. But actually, no, I did because I just put my set volume so high. So it's like uh, I was just going for quantity and not very good quality at all. And it just didn't lead to the, the best results. It certainly wasn't efficient. But that's a, that's a problem I could see. But this, you've like we've been talking about, highly trained individuals, I kind of had this discussion with Brian Miner recently talking about like, do we even need to logbook as like a highly trained lifter? Could we just go in and just like tr- make sure we did hard, like hard work and enough of it? And like it, it, in some ways that's kind of scary as an advanced lifter, but as a natural, like growth is so slow. Like you're, you're hoping your logbook is going to indicate something, but <laughs> maybe it is just like if you're driving yourself into the ground with an exercise, trying to hit a PR at some point and you're hating it, probably worth rotating it maybe yeah if it's peds or a new row variant like i got no judgment on peds but like if if someone doesn't want to do that like can we have fictitious changes right like so in, in, in my training right now i have one exercise for every muscle group that i track um and the rest of them i don't track reps or like i'm i'm not tracking so i have i essentially have one pride and joy exercise that i track and i track reps across all of them and that's my barometer exercise um and then the rest is just i that's that's the other literature that that is interesting to me is like first exercises versus last exercises in the day um i think you have to just keep if you're going to track this stuff you have to keep things the same you just have to keep everything the same because if you do bicep curls first and then you do them last the next time, you're probably going to get less reps when you do them last versus first. Um, and I, I think we, I think we've even talked about this is like exercise order becomes interesting, right? Like, um, you know, in the study that we did, we did bench and then squat. I, I put like a questionnaire a couple of years ago, like, which would, which do you think you'll do better on second? Like if you squatted first and like, I know me personally, if I'm squatting, I'm, I'm picking bench a thousand percent of the time. Um, and then I'm going to squat it, but some people legitimately pick squat first. Um, and they thought they would do better with squat than bench, um, on, on reps wise. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's, that's one of the problems with, with hypertrophy, right? Is like, there's so many variables all going on at the same time. Um, and that's why, that's why we need guys like Tommy who, uh, can control for these things in the sets and, and help me not have too many things going on at the same time when I design a study so that we don't actually know what caused what. (laughs) I was, I was actually thinking about some of these, you know, exercise variation and variability in trainees. And I think one thing that probably should be controlled better, you know, if we're thinking about learning right thinking about learning in neuroscience various aspects of psychology then you're more back in my my area of expertise and the one very important thing for for learning is 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 focus right we've already talked about this right you know everybody knows the classic yerkes dodds for dogson uh arousal curve right you want to be aroused enough so that you can perform at your best and you can you get a decrease in performance if you go either side of that but focus and engagement in the in the process. So, say if you're trying to learn something new, are both critically important. And the less aroused you are, the more engaging the the material needs to be. And so, for a, a new uh, a new trainee, they are going to be 
I think compared to a, an advanced trainee, they're going to be less focused. They're less good at getting themselves into the arousal state that's required for optimal performance. Therefore, by making the process more engaging, by increasing variability, you can offset some of that, I think. So then in that scenario, you're actually, with more variability, you're, you're, you're probably actually saying that the gains that they're getting are maybe less neuromuscular you know, learning, motor pattern learning, because they're actually not focused in the process. And you're you're actually just giving them a novel muscular stimulus that they've never experienced before. So that kind of idea that it's noob gains, that it's just their brain learning how to control their muscles. I think that that study very nicely shows that's not the case. And also they're less likely to be in the state that's optimal for learning uh, a new process like that, because they're just not, they're not used to it. Whereas an advanced trainee, they can get themselves into that into that state much more easily. So they're going to do true learning much faster. Um, and then you can talk about how often you have to do things in order to learn them. Like repeating something every 72 hours is probably optimal for most learning states and which just happens to be how often you, you tend to repeat things in, in the gym. So that's kind of is happening automatically, but it's sort of, a, I think there's thinking about different aspects of that learning process, depending on the, the state of the training is really important as well as their how aroused they are in there, the sort of readiness to to train. Yeah. And I, I would even, that's interesting to think about because as we, if you think about like an advanced lifter, like things just become stale, right? And so like maybe you become less aroused and, and that's where mm -hmm. like novelty does become a spice for me. Yeah. And, and, and also I, I think that we've learned enough about regional hypertrophy that, and, and this is the next point in here is like, you probably get well, more well-rounded muscular growth when you use a wider variety of exercises. Like we have, we have, I think we have enough studies showing that basic tenant um, that it, there's a, there's definitely a re if you're after hypertrophy, if you're a power lifter, I think you could even make the case for powerlifting because muscle mass is going to help with strength. Right. Um, and and so if you're after solely muscle, which I think the probably the majority of people listening to this podcast are gonna be in the bodybuilding aesthetic world, um, then I think you can make a very, very strong case in my mind, given the lack of our ability to measure muscle mass super effectively, which is honestly the biggest thing that I wanna and Tommy knows this, I this is the biggest thing I want to get better at is is our ability to measure this stuff. Because right now, like you get a dex at one point in time to the next point in time, like how much water, like is it is, is like we're talking like Steve might be able to gain like two more pounds of top sirloin on his frame in his in his career, potentially. Like if you think like in his in his body, like there's there's like two whatever. We don't need to put a top, he's already jacked as hell. Like <laughs> if he could if he could slap another two pounds of of meat of of lean meat on his frame, uh that would be great. But It'd be phenomenal, right? We'd we'd all be impressed. Uh, we're already impressed, and and so like the the MRIs, like what can pick that up? Like what can pick that two pounds of muscle? Like so, number one, we need Steve to be eating the same amount of carbs in the same energy situation, right? Time point to time point, and then so we get that noise out of the way, which is probably prep, right? So that's why I think like prep to prep is is so interesting, um, but 
what I want to, what I want really want to try to figure out is like, how can we measure this stuff more effectively? So we can start to figure out, does, does this matter? Because I would make the argument for Steve and for everybody on this call, Tommy's extremely, you know, extremely trained. I think his FMI is probably higher than mine. Um, and I would, I would make the, the play that you probably want to take as many exercise variants out as possible to the point of this where your musculoskeletal system is the limiter um because that means that you've trained that angle think about all the muscles in the back and think about the chest like taking training this thing in all of these angles if you don't have anything less left you might as well do that i think that's the argument right now is like should you just try to like bang a deadlift to get like five pounds stronger. I don't think me personally, I'll, I, that's not where I think your best money is spent. I think your best money is spent trying to hit the hamstrings from every reasonable angle where they will be the limiter and trying to take all of those up. Cause you may get regionally some different hypertrophy than you would. Um, if you're good enough, I think you probably, if you're good enough at the deadlift where it's now, it's like technique and all these other things. Um, that that's where my head's at. Where I don't know where y'all heads are at. Either. Go for it, Tommy. I was gonna say go for Steve. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> I've, you've got an FFMI over twenty five. I hear. No, I was, uh, no I, it's close to that. It's just below, <laughs> I think. Yeah. It's very good. It's impressive. I have no idea what I am, but I'm probably getting somewhere around twenty three. Maybe I don't know. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm more so towards where you're at with that, Ben, uh, in terms of like again, a deadlift, how many muscles is it taking? Like it's just so many muscles. You're just and it actually kind of relates to a point I was about to make with being kind of uh, I, I think there is sometimes pushed, at least I felt like this has been pushed within kind of the bodybuilding kind of social media evidence-based is like bodybuilding training is boring. Like you should just be doing the same things over and over again. And I think there's definitely like principles that you need to be doing that are boring and over and over again but i think too often people then are like no you must be doing the same exercise for like a year like you have to just grind it into the ground until it's just like pummeled you and you have to switch it and i've certainly been there when and like if i get to an exercise and i've been doing especially for maybe like i don't know some exercises i could just remember hack squats i was running them for like a year over a year and i was trying to progress it and i was just the systemic fatigue I was generating from the psychological arousal, which brings me to kind of something Tommy was saying, where if you just, and I know this, like if I put in, oh, I switch it to a pendulum, as soon as I switched it to something else, I was like, ah, oh, such a relief. And then my quads, like, that, did they know that I was switching to a pendulum and get upset? And no, we're going to hit that <laughs> PR on the, on the hack squat. No. So I think too often bodybuilders, it's the same with like diet breaks, refeeds. They like to just remove the psychological component of a bodybuilder. But so often it's intertwined with what's going on with the physiology that you have to take care of that as well. And I don't know if that, if you agree with that or if that um, lines up with anything you think. I, so in, in what you just said, there's my, one of my good friends who's, he's like, he's invisible in the internet. Uh, his name's Ethan Grossman. He's an IFBB pro. Um, and so we, 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 whenever we're together, we have, we have interesting conversations and, and I think, I think Eric's talked about this too, this idea of like flipping the switch to thinking about not what 
not what gets you hypertrophy. So we're always thinking like, oh, more volume is going to get you hypertrophy. But what puts the brakes on hypertrophy? So like reframing the question. And one of the things that I think, like if you're very, very strong, like Ethan has been very, very strong since he's 18 years old. Like the guy is, he's genetic. He's a genetic freak. Um, like I think he was, I don't even want to, I don't even want to like throw out numbers, but I know he was squatting like 500 at like 18 years old or something like, like, like something, something ridiculous. Like he's, he's the, he's the guy that goes in like the farm kid that goes and he's not from the farm, but the farm kid that goes in the, just like deadlifts 405 pounds the first time they enter the weight room. You're like, what just happened? They got hands like can openers. You're like, this is insane. <laughs> um, and I, I worked at UT. So I, I meet, I've, I've met a lot of those people, like those genetic kind of funnel people that you're like, they're like, he's an 18 year old undersized running back and he's 210, 8% body fat. You're like, what the? I've been trying my whole life to be <laughs> one ninety in that, um, and and so the in these individuals, you're trying to like kind of save them from themselves almost, and so they're they're not training to maximize variables; they're training to like decrease side effects, um, and so that's something that like like is there a way for me to get the same stimulus for less joint pain? I think that's that that's a can I get the same stimulus with less of other stuff? And that's equally interesting to me as I progress from this. Like, can I get the same stimulus with less systemic fatigue so I can go play with my daughter? Um, like as a dad, that's that's a big deal. And and so do I have to get less up for my training, but still can I get the same gains or better gains? Um, and I think if you would have asked me, proposed those questions to me when I was 25, I would have been like, dude, get out of here. You're just stupid. Uh, that's dumb. Like we're going to get, we're going to go ham. Um, but that those, as I've gotten older and my goals have changed to, I think like this longevity of training, I do think of like, can we train around side effects? Can we train to diminish side effects and still have functional training? Um, and that's, that's why I do think if you look at the one, what is the one thing that leads to injury? What's the one, one thing that leads to reliably to like a reduction in your chronic volume? It's going to be an injury, and that's generally in our population. Those are going to be overuse injuries. Um, so can we go a little – can we tweak things up to not get in those overuse situations? Um, that's interesting to me. Um, and when you squat as much as some of these dudes squat, like how do you squat less weight? Like it's it's an interesting question. Like you put the exercise last. Like you do the opposite of what we've been talking about. Um, and it's it's just it's just super interesting. Um, and if you don't have any sacred cows, you'll go try stuff. Um, because what what do you got left? Because we can't really measure it. So you might as well you might as well you might as well try some stuff. Yeah, I I can definitely see that. Um, and it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, everything that you're saying there, I think Ben and um, yeah. So a question I was going to pull back to actually originally, and this might have been what you're getting to with. Um, Mike Isretel and Eric Helms, where Eric, I think, has an understanding of like with the volume aspect and sets where it's like, are you just adapting to be able to be a do more sets or you're actually getting more from those sets? Whereas I think Mike is more on the side of like more if you're recovering from it is better. I don't know where you stand with that. And because I don't know if the, I think of some muscle groups, a, a easy examples, my calves, like if I train them, I can do length and partials, five sets close to failure next day 
they're kind of recovered. Like, I'm like, oh, come on, guys. Like, I'm, I was expected to feel something here. And I don't know if, like, I can just keep trying to do more, like, train them again, or, uh, like, I guess performance would be the marker I would be looking at to see if they're recovered, because, like, that biofeedback, they seem recovered. So, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts surrounding that. I do. Um, I do. Uh, so I, I think that if you are normally the people that are answering this question are advanced in some way. I think if you're asking this question, you're, you're advanced. Like once you've run out of runway on things, that's, that's, what's interesting to me. Like once you've run out of newbie gains, then you start asking these questions. Um, and I think the literature on volume does say if you have stagnated and, and that's the other the the hard part is like it's really hard to measure all the the, it, the the linchpin here is like this stuff is hard to measure and that's why we have so many stories and so many techniques and so many you know so many methods um because it is very hard to measure and what gets mismeasured that generally gets mismanaged um and, and that's that's no that's why we have so many anecdotes so for me our lack of being able to measure mis- measure this is really a problem like for you steve like you would just fuck it like roll just go six days a week hit five sets six days a week and if you could measure it you would just see if it got you to grow and then if you're right you're right and then if you're wrong you're like shit what do I, like if you're wrong at 30 sets what do you do uh and then it's just this like all right i'll try 20 sets and if that works you're like okay then it was less if so you kind of you have to change a variable, but the problem is we're changing variables and we don't have a way to measure, so we don't have any confirmation. Yeah. Um, and I I would say right now, if you are if you are stale, the answer is probably try to go up in a specialization block. Like that's where my head's at. Um, I know anecdotally that I have seen that work specifically for my delts and my back. I would say like I have a very developed back. And I have done, I have run blocks and blocks of 25 to 30 sets on my back easy. Um, and I'm going to try that on more muscle groups. Um, and, and I'm going to over years, see if that works um, in a slight energy surplus. And my hope is that it works. And that I might, my other hope is that Tommy and I can figure out how to reliably somewhat measure this stuff. <laughs> what stops you applying it to more muscles at once than your back? Is there anything that stops you just oh, doing it to everything? Logistics. Yeah. Logistics. I think it comes back to this frequency question. Like, all right, if I got to like to get to 30 sets, I have to train that three times per week. So now that's, I have, like you think about the variables, like I'm trying now I'm, I'm dipping volume down on other stuff so that I can fit this in. Um, and so in specialization box, I usually do two or three. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm on an arm specialization block, um, right now. And that's like, I think of that almost as a deload too. Like, I think you can use these specialization sure. blocks as almost like deloads, right? Um, so I'm going to do an arm specialization block and I'm going to keep my hamstrings and my quads in like, at like whatever maintenance volume. And I think we'd all agree that maintenance volume is, is maybe a third or like half, like it's not, that's, what's cool about this stuff. If you start thinking about it in a periodized way. Um, and that's why having a coach, I think is, is super interesting. Like Eric coached me through my prep process and he's like, you're not like your, your body's not like low in anything. Like there's no, you don't have any like underdeveloped muscle groups, but you do have muscle groups from like a genetic perspective, like an insertion point perspective that are 
like my quads are kind of overwhelming. So that means I have to, he's like, dude, you just got to get everything else bigger. And I might be absentee hack jobbing his, his advice, but, um, but he's like, you, you have to just get bigger everywhere because you have muscle groups that are from, because of whatever, because of my insertion points or my previous training are just bigger. Um, and, and that's, so that's what I'm doing is I'm, I'm kind of less focused on my, on my, like for you, it's your biceps, right? Like you've never like trained your biceps. They're just naturally massive. Um, and you can make an argument like, like LeCure, he's, he's, uh, you know, I think, you know, LeCure, he's, uh, he's not super on the internet, but his lats are like that. Like the dude just woke up with pillow lats. Um, and his lats are so big that it's probably not, you. He, he could, he could like shave a little bit off of them for yeah. a sport. <laughs> Um, so that, that's why I do think like a coach is really, really helpful to get from like a specialization standpoint of figuring this stuff out and, and looking at your exercises, where are you feeling out? Um, you talked about length of partials, like, yeah, using some of these advanced techniques to, um, to bring up these lagging areas. And then you can, we can also change the conversation to like, if you're a newbie, this is, I think, this is, I think the linchpin or the, the thing that pisses off all, all, like everybody who's, you know, been around for a long time is like, you got to earn that stuff. Like we want, we want people to earn that stuff. Like if you got to the gym yesterday, you're trying to do like length of partials and you're, <laughs> and we're just, everybody's kind of like, we're annoyed. Like, cause you <laughs> probably don't need that level of stimulus. And, and then, but that we're hard to please. Cause we're also annoyed if you, like we're just we're the, the older you get, you know, the more curmudgeony we get, and then we're just really hard to please. Like, and 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 I think you said something really really cool that I wanted to comment on, Steve, and that was like this idea, like bodybuilding novelty. And, and so, like we think of it, we think of this stuff as like very novel, and, and this has to be like come comes back to like minding the gap. Like we think of like oh, we're changing exercise variation. That's like novelty. I talk with some of my clients who like they kind of like the gym. Like novelty for them is like changing every variable. <laughs> like I, it's like, we're so entrenched in this, like, oh, I'm just going to change where I feel on this lat row. Right. Like that's novelty for us. They want to do like, all right, I, I, like I'm going to do jumping jacks after that exercise. Then I'm going to, I'm going to create this. They want an entire new, like they want a finisher. They want to do like P90X. Um, so it's it's it, like that's why I think like the novelty continuum is 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 interesting. Um, and where we probably lose a lot of people is we don't pay attention to that enough. I think in the general population is like just keep them in the game. Just like I don't care if they got to play games, if they got to throw darts in between exercises, yeah. like, I don't care what they got to do. Just keep them coming. Uh that reminds me of what is like an overarching theme that myself and Pascal often talk about on the improvement season, how like just advanced bodybuilders are basically just the ones who have been doing the longest. Like if you are in the gym working hard and you're looking to make things harder over time, like, yeah, there's lots of nuance, like things you can talk about that maybe ultimately optimize it a little bit. But if you just keep tweaking and keep going, because you can never, like you said, because we can't measure it, especially over the short term by any means, it's like if you make a change in a mesocycle worth, like you can't be, and I guess this is where, I think I've spoken to Mena Hensman's about it, where he gets like 
a bit annoyed with people who are like, oh yeah, this was the game changer to my results. It's like, how long have you been doing it? It's like a few weeks. It's like, uh, I mean, even if you didn't been doing it months, there's so many other variables that you just possibly couldn't know. Uh, so yeah, I think I'm, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'd be very interested if you guys can come up with some sort of way of actually measuring muscle growth. Uh, that'd be very cool. It, it's going to involve tattoos, Steve. <laughs> it's going to involve tattoos and an MRI uh, fish, scans and MRI scans and fish oil pills. Uh, that legitimate, like this is this is happening. Like there are hashtag tattoos going on my body for science. <laughs> um, like little little arrows, and then we will strap a fish oil pill to that point, and we will we are gonna we're gonna figure we're gonna try to figure this out. <laughs> And see if we can get, because we, like, that's my project for this. That's Tommy and my project, because he's, I want to be blinded to my abilities. Like, I don't want to run the stats on it. So I'll, I'll have, like, extended view ultrasound is now getting good enough where it can kind of replicate MRI images. Um, So we want to see if it's, this is, this is like where we get into the research hierarchy. Like, this is, I think, we where case series may be better. Like, just a case series on a bodybuilder eating the same amount of carbs at the same like because the water aspect of muscle has to be controlled that's what like because that dynamic overwhelms everything so you have to be in a you have to be in a slight surplus to a slight surplus you have to be eating the, the same amount of carbs and what general population can do that zero like you don't know that we like so it has to be in this population where we kind of answer this question um and that's that's what we're going to go after and we're going to, we're going to do, we're going to try to do some case series on some very advanced people. Um, Cause I think that's, that's, what's really interesting to us. And if we got to spend a lot of money to do it, that's what we're going to do. Um, and we just want to see, is it possible on, you know, like a 16 to 20 week, is it even possible to see anything change? Um, if we maximize all the variables, um, because why not? What else, what, what else am I going to do? <laughs> I don't know what else to do, so I might as well do that. Well, I'm very interested to hear about that, and uh, I think I better call it here because I know you guys uh, have a time limit there. And I want to say a massive thank you for you both coming on, uh, Tommy. I'll probably have to get you on some other time to talk about something, so you can have uh, more words to say. I feel bad that you obviously just, uh, but uh, I understand that you were more on this the stats great. on this, this is, one. Yeah, this is uh, this is a. Uh like Ben's the idea guy and I'm just I'm running the analysis on the back end, but obviously I'm, you know, I like to lift weights, so not going to lie. I love it too. <laughs> yeah, I could tell. And I mean, um, and the psychology aspects of it, I think are not spoken about enough actually, to be honest. So I thought that was very interesting and yeah, thank you again, Ben for coming on. But Tommy, if people want to kind of find out more about what you're doing, uh, where should people head just so they're aware? Sure. Uh, Instagram's probably the best place uh, at Dr. Tommy Wood. I'm usually you'll usually find me talking about the brain because that's uh, technically my day job. Various aspects of uh, brain health and um, things related to concussions and things like that. Um, that's where you'll find me. Awesome. I have had a long story. I had a run in with my brain. That's kind of the whole revive stronger brand uh, was a head injury. So uh, yeah, I probably will find your stuff very interesting. Uh, ben, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, so you can find me at deconstructnutrition.com or uh, Tommy and I have a multitude of courses, which Tommy doesn't like to talk about. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, broresearch.com is uh, where we have our advanced blood chemistry course. We also have a nutrition coaching course there. Um, yeah, 
Tom, it's, it's, I'll say like, it's very cool that we have a neuroscientist on the call who's like interested in strength training and willing to do like the nitty gritty stats that I think a lot of like us and like me, myself, like I don't have that background. I'm not, I don't have an interest in it. So it's very, very cool to have that. And, um, and, and Tommy's been on some, some very large podcasts. He's, he's, he'll be on Atia. Um, he's been, been on Gabrielle Lyons. So give, give those a listen. Um, and, uh, I thought, I thought your, your caller commentation was, uh, I'll give you some, give you some props at the end of this time. Like I, that, that little, like arousal curve, mm-hmm. I've never thought of that in programming before. So that's like something that like I'm chomping on now. So cool. those solid, my man. Yeah, you, I remember you, you brought it up like as if everyone knows about it. And I was like, yeah, oh, actually, it makes sense to me. I actually didn't know about it. <laughs> yeah, I, was like, I was like, oh, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, look up, look up. Yerkes, Dodson, arousal. I mean, it makes perfect sense. It's, uh, it's, it does seem like too aroused anxiety, especially the fine tune motor yeah. skills. You, you kind of like just yeah. rave, rave yourself out. Um, yeah, it's why, it's why, um, alcohol and beta blockers are banned for like shooting and archery events right because you become too you want to block your arousal you want to be less aroused because then yeah you're 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 better at your sport but you know sprinting you want to be really aroused but not too aroused because then you'll you'll uh full start so it, it makes the curve is different for every sport but so you want to get in that sweet spot i think i even find a different arousal for like legs versus upper body like i'm like i can't be too aroused for legs because i just I don't know. I just like my technique just goes completely to shit. <laughs> you hear that, that all the time. You hear that like too much caffeine for like yeah. some like a low like a lower stimulus workout and people just like zzz, like freak out. It's happened to me in no, I was talking about it's happened to me in competition as well. So I I compete in some low, very low level strongman. That's what that's what I do. And so I don't normally train with caffeine. I have my caffeine in the morning, I train in the afternoon. But I'll have some caffeine during a competition. But there's definitely been times when I've just shot my load too soon in the event <laughs> because because i just wasn't used to being that aroused uh to perform maximally so yeah you could definitely go the other way too very maybe this is something we can talk about further in future so yeah thank you guys for coming on i'll make sure uh, people can uh, check those out below and we'll catch you on the next one take care losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass sounds too good to be true doesn't it it isn't though it's reality and we know how to do it and we will help you achieve this the mini cup movement is an eight-week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time we will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger you will receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs you can choose between six different male and female training templates over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the mini cut so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do but the best thing is that you can start whenever you want the mini cut movement is open 24 7 so if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up hit the link in the description below so let's revive stronger together